0: I'm Sarah Resnick, and I'm LaShawn Moore, and we are the hosts of The Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop Just Yarn and Fiber. Hello, hi everyone. In this week's episode, I'm speaking with one of our amazing artists and residents, Cassiena. Through the study of materials and patterns, Cassiena intuitively explores textiles and a range of media to create atmospheric abstractions focused on intersectionality as coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, engaging in themes of social and environmental justice. Cassiena's thought-provoking mixed-media collages and installations are informed by her lived experiences, curiosity, and the historic influence on arts and craft from people within the African diaspora. And we are so grateful to have her as an artist in residence, as well as on the podcast today. Hello, Cassiana. welcome.
1: Thanks for having me, LaShawn.
0: It is a pleasure. Can you start out by introducing yourself and telling us how you started working in the wonderful world of textiles
1: yeah so it's such an interesting journey so i'm a textile artist um is how i identify Um, my background is in fashion design but how i really um got into textiles was i always had an interest from like a really young age from textiles um so I was raised by a single mom but my my father is a is Nigerian and so when he would visit us he would bring textiles um from Nigeria back and it really like sparked an interest for me at a really young age um and then even growing up there was just always such an interest I have I come from a very like matriarchal family so I have a lot of sisters. I have three sisters and a mom and a lot of aunts and all of them would either like knit or crochet or sew at some point. Um, Just very craft driven in that sense. And so um, that's really what like led me on my textile journey, those experiences early on.
0: Do you feel like being introduced to textiles that early Is what kind of led you into being a mixed media artist because you work with so many different forms of textile and I guess you could say art making.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's really funny. I gave the shortened versions of like what I am. I mean, yeah, I identify in a lot of ways because I feel like I am a textile artist, I'm a mixed media artist, I'm also a natural dyer. Um, and I'm also an educator, so I yeah I, I did simplify a little bit before, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So the mixed media part comes up. It's really interesting. So none of my family is uh, like professionally artists. I think I have a lot of like creative people and creative thinkers in my family, but none of them like took fashion design or any kind of creative path. So I think that my sense of like the mixed media that comes in is i have a lot of vast different interests and it's like me trying to combine them all together so even at like like when i was younger i was always outside i really loved nature really early on to the point where everybody thought i was going to go into the sciences Mm -hmm. because i just like loved um being outside like collecting bugs all of the like books i was reading all of the like programs i'd watch on tv was like discovery channel like nat geo like that kind of stuff and i was always really into it so in high school I started taking like environmental classes and I remember taking like trying to like again match my interest of like environmentalism with fashion design and I had in high school discovered like sustainable fashion quite early or at that time what like fashion was calling sustainable fashion mm-hmm. um and so by the time I moved to New York so I'm originally from Reno, Nevada um and by the time i moved to new york to go to school i went to parsons and so i took a lot of like sustainable fashion classes at the time um even when i was doing i kind of fell into like like knitting um as a practice everybody said like oh you're such a strong knitter even though i like i i really did do with uh like work with wovens as well um but again i was just trying to like yeah mix and mash like these different things and that's where the mixed media um comes in is just like trying to combine all these different ideas and I'm very experimental in my process and so that allows me to be quite open with the the like the process and the research part of it which I'm really drawn to of art making and craft making so yeah that's where that comes from I think and it's also I didn't have like traditional like artists or creative people as um as like uh, in my family lineage, basically that I know of. I mean, I know there's a lot of creatives in my family, but, um, so I think like my mom is a community organizer. She's a social worker a community organizer. And that's where that influence comes from in my work. So I do do a lot of like social practice, educate, um, education is really important in my practice. And I know I was inspired by that from her.
0: Mm, that's beautiful. It's interesting you say that because I, think about that too when I think about how I came into fashion and uh, textiles and fibers and weaving when I was a kid my mom and my grandmother were always sewing I remember I used to step on like sewing needles I still have my my first grade graduation dress that my mom made Um, we used to, I mean, my mom used to make so, so much of our clothes, but then she, she stopped after a while and she doesn't, you know, sew anymore, but I still have blankets that my grandmother crocheted. But even then, they didn't really draw the connection of that inspiring me early on to now, because when they were doing it, it was really about survival. It was about finding the clothes that they wanted, um, us to wear and also, Um, being resourceful, you know, like my mom's wedding dress was made by my aunt and it was gorgeous. It looked like it came from a catalog, even the, the, um, I can't think of what it's called now, but, um, the thing that you wear on your head.
1: Oh, like a, like a head wrap or yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, that you're saying this because like, I mean, for me, that's like the definition of sustainability is like, because they're doing it, So beautifully, but in a way that it is, it's coming from resource. It's coming out from like surviving. Like that's what sustainability to me actually is. It's to, you know, like sustain. Um, so I think that's really beautiful. But yeah, I mean, I, a similar like my, I used to look at old pictures of like my great aunts and stuff. My mom's like, actually, I made that. Actually, like she made that. And I'm like, this is like the most like well, um, made clothes that I've ever seen. Like it's beautifully made. The fit is amazing. And I, yeah, I've had a lot of experiences. My mom my mom was like, oh, I would have gone into fashion design. I just didn't realize it was like a career path. Like, so it's, yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting conversation for sure.
0: Yeah. And similarly to you as well, I also went to Parsons and I spoke about this in the episode that will air before this one um, about how going to school kind of awakened something in me that did make me move in the direction of being mixed media and like interdisciplinary. Mm -hmm. Can you speak a little bit more about your experience in school and that process of like learning and picking things up and how you sort of narrowed it down to the core of of principles and materials that you
1: work with today? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. So my experience at Parsons was, I mean, I think it was traditional in a sense, but it was like once I had moved to New York, I moved to New York. I didn't go home and visit a lot because I had to work because I just I didn't have money and I couldn't really afford it. I had a lot of student loans that I took out. So Parsons as a private school is a really wealthy school. So there are a lot of students. So my experience was very different than a lot of the students I went to school with because I was always like working. I was always interning outside of school as well. And so I think that made me like really hyper focused. Um, on the things that I wanted to focus on when I was like in school. So at, at the time I went to Parsons, I graduate, I graduated in 2011. I was supposed to graduate in 2010, but I had to take a year off because I just couldn't afford it. Um, and so when I, like I came, when I came to school, I was really focused on a lot of the academic classes. I just, I've always been strong like academically in school. To the point where I got like a little scholarship called like the Chase Scholars <laughs> Program, which was supposed to be like more um smaller classes and more academically um geared. And so I've always just really been into the academic classes, those elective classes. I like I really loved. And so a lot of them were uh, Parsons is like partnered with the new school. So a lot of them are like really politically driven or socially driven, Um, which I loved those classes. I loved I took so many sustainable design just in general um classes. And a lot of like art classes, museum classes, things like that, which is hilarious because I was supposed to be in fashion design. But I have this other really strong sense of um, like love of these other kind of classes I'm taking, mm-hmm. which I think really speaks to my art practice as I got out of school. But definitely in terms of like the fashion design part of it, I was one of the few students who had a really deep interest in textiles in general. I was like wanting to know the weave. I was wanting to know the fiber. Like, like a lot of the st- students who I went to school with didn't care about that. It was more about like color, a silhouette. Um, and I was really into the fiber and I was really into like figuring out like what this means. And I had I had uh learned to knit when I was sixteen and it became an obsession. It was something that I never stopped. So by the time I got into school, I was really knitting a lot, trying to incorporate knitwear into my collections. I'm um, trying to really like focus on basically like textiles. So, um yeah, that like that just always deepened and then um me trying to like combine again these interests from like the academics or like things I was learning in those elective classes with this kind of with my craft making, my like um fashion making. Uh and so a lot of my pieces in during that time were like very more like art driven than than It was very craft driven during that time, I think in terms of like what I was making for like my senior thesis and things. Yeah, I
0: I get what you're saying. You're kind of pointing to the fact that Parsons is this really big, well-known fashion school. And a lot of the students are more industry driven Mm -hmm. and more about all of the, you know, different facets of fashion. And there isn't as much of an emphasis on fiber, textile, even like sustainability right. as it is color, silhouette and designing. It's more about you be the designer. And I think over the past few years, it's changed where people are starting to think more about the supply chain and where things come from and, you know, the implications of using certain materials and, and certain um, silhouettes or, you know, it, it, it's very much, um, evolved from that, um, from the very early idea of fashion. I definitely see how, how you might have felt in that experience and how you came to working in the way that you do. I think it's also just so beautiful because to me, you're expressing, allowing yourself the room to grow, um, to grow into your craft, to grow into your practice, to grow into um, the artist that you are. It's, it's really expi- inspiring to, to hear you kind of talk through that.
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, too, because I think back about my time at Parsons, I definitely think out of like the schools, Parsons was a good fit for me in the sense that it allowed me to
0: experiment
1: experiment and I was really I was really like um I really liked taking the new school classes so like again I think I thrived a lot more academically than I maybe did in my fashion classes because they were so I mean I like when I went to school it was still old school Parsons and but what I mean by that it was like it was Tim Gunn's last year like there was a very set curriculum that you had to do a foundation year. You had to take like, like the way the classes were driven. And I know those have changed over time to allow a lot more experimentation. Cause I did feel a little bit stifled sometimes because I wasn't allowed to experiment because it was so structured. Like I remember my freshman year, like they still had uh, my freshman year, they had like an advisor and like you had to go talk to the advisor. You would get sent to the advisor if you were like, doing badly in your classes maybe or and I went to the advisor because I was sent to her from one of my like teachers and they like she was like your time management's off you have to plan your 15 every 15 minutes you have to plan and it was like it was a very old school way of fashion Mm -hmm. which is definitely changed and has allowed more but Parsons used to be so structured like it used to be such a different thing than what it was now and I was like I'm in the few years where it was like shifting so like you had Again, my freshman year, or not my freshman, that would have been my sophomore year, because freshman year was foundation, which they don't even do anymore. But that, like, sophomore year, like, getting sent to the advisor to be like, your your time management's off. And it was like, wasn't a time management issue. I just think I wasn't taking the, some of the classes as well. But, like, because academically, I was like, that's where all of my, like, yeah, I, I thrived there. So it's just a funny thing to see how much the industry has changed, which I think it was needed. But it's also interesting to see how people can kind of be in these systems. So find it um, like I still find it was like the good fit in terms of like the different fashion and art schools, but still like buck the system a little bit or want to push back a little bit more, which is my personality, which is why I think like, yeah, it worked. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious if
0: through all of this exploration, you have a fiber making medium that you're most drawn to.
1: It's so interesting because I think it, like, shifts. Um, but I can say there's two that I feel so strongly about. And I when I learned them, it was the same way. So it's I think knitting is one of them. I learned from my great aunt how to knit. And when I learned, like, people usually find it as a relaxing thing to do. It was an obsession. Like, I, I couldn't stop. I couldn't put it down. I just wanted to get better. I just wanted to, like, learn. And my sisters were making fun of me because I was so obsessed um and i just i really took to it and it continued and um even as i like navigated the fashion industry after school i've gotten mostly knitwear jobs or knit specialization jobs and it's like really something that um i feel really strong in and i think there's really uh something really interesting about it like how much how much you can push it how many different forms it can take um at the end of the day it's all about fiber and loops which i love um and then when I learned natural dyeing in, like, 2014, I had the exact same feeling where I was obsessed. I just couldn't, like, it's just like magic. I couldn't stop. Um, and so I think out of all of the fiber, like, mediums, those two I really respond, love to engage with, especially in my work. Because I think it's interesting to take these kind of craft-driven forms into an artistic, like, context. I think there's a lot of interesting things there. But yeah, but overall, I'm like a textile person. Like I love weaving. I love s- spinning yarn. I do spinning yarn not as much. Maybe that out of like a lot of things, that's maybe the, like the least, but I definitely, um, do do it. Uh, yeah. I mean, like tufting, like, <laughs> like rug making. Um, I just also like love researching, uh, like craft traditions. And yeah. So what about you, LaShawn? Cause you do so much too. Yes. Oh
0: man. Switching the question on me. (laughs) My favorite. So I think every type of fiber making art, I think has its role in my practice. I tend to try to put different versions of everything in one thing because my brain, sometimes I'll start doing something over here and then go to this and I'll use this piece. Um, Even in my artwork, sometimes when people ask me questions about how I make stuff and then when I really break it down and I'm like, you see this little piece in the corner, that's a little piece that I stitched and then this over here, <laughs> you know, like it's, that's really what it is for me. Um, But I would say, I mean, right now I'm really focused on farming because I am really getting very close to creating something that I can turn into a business. Mm-hmm. But as far as fibers go, I mean, weaving is definitely probably number one. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say next would be pattern making. I love making patterns. I love pattern magic. If if anyone's familiar with Shingo Sato's books, mm-hmm. they're amazing. Um, I love pattern manipulation and just making cool shapes. and once once I have the time I'm hoping to get more experimental with weaving I just haven't had the opportunity but yeah I would say those two are at the forefront of my brain right now
1: yeah no that's beautiful I used to yeah I have the pattern ma- magic books too and I was like experimenting it's interesting because I think like for me just because I was so drawn to knitting um it, like what I love about knitting is because you're building your own fabric which is the same with like weaving like you get to build but with knitting you, I feel like it's a little bit more There's not less setup, I guess, depending on what type of knitting you're doing. So it's interesting because, like, I can pattern make. I don't love it. I don't hate it. It can be a little too technical for me sometimes, depending on, like, if you're, you know, what you're making. But I think there is such magic in it. Like, there is such, like, amazingness when you play with patterns. Like, actual pattern making. Like, what you can make with it. The farming thing is really interesting, too. So I'm always, like it wasn't until especially I think like 2020 where I was really talking to my mom and really trying to understand like lineage and, and I was just like speaking with her because she's originally from Reno, Nevada. Most of her, or she's originally from Louisiana, but most of her family like migrated in the fifties to like Reno, Nevada. And so I was trying to like understand like what, you know, like what basically like what our family was doing in Louisiana, like like, what is our heritage there? Like, what did everybody do? And uh, down the line, there are a lot of farmers, which I found interesting, especially when it comes to the natural dying and stuff. Because I was, I'm I'm like the anomaly of my family, again, where I'm like trying to like make this creative career happen. And I'm like, where is this coming from? Because all of you guys, again, like, I know there's interest there, but like none of you guys do this. Like, so I'm always asking questions. And especially in 2020, when everything slowed, I was able to talk to my mom a lot more and hear stories. Um and yeah, so there's a lot of farming on her side. And I have found that interesting because that would make sense. That's like probably why I'm so drawn to nature too. It's like yeah, although I don't I don't identify as a grower. <laughs> it's not a skill that I have. <laughs> it's like all my patience goes to the like dying part of it. Um but like yeah. And so it's really funny because my practice is extremely slow. Um but there always are some limits and like growing it it's like I think there's such magic there but it's not I'm not sure it's for me yet so
0: yeah I mean it it definitely takes time and a lot of patience growing being a grower is a very huge undertaking but it's so amazing and you learn so much with time and that's kind of the key is learning with time. Like I've been in farm programs and I've learned, you know, the tech the technical aspects of farming and this and that. But there's so much that that so many factors that can contribute to how you grow something in a particular place that you're really only your largest lessons are going to come from just doing it. So it's like if you feel intimidated by it you or anyone who happens to be listening to this that's considering starting to grow something starting is really the only thing that you have to do like a lot of plants will announce themselves they'll tell you what they want tell you what they need um you know it's really it's not as difficult as it may seem and it's it's a beautiful process like to watch the life cycle of plants and I, I don't know i always tell people that my seedlings like when they like when the plant first comes up uh from the ground they're so adorable like yeah. they're the equivalent of looking at puppies for me <laughs> like they're so cute and it's just watching them grow and grow and grow it's just you know it, it's a beautiful thing that everyone should experience and uh um, it's. I mean, it's something you could you could do a you could probably grow some indigo in your
1: apartment. I know. I have like a I have a few small plants, the thing is, I've also killed a few small plants. <laughs> like, I just it's really funny because I, I think it's complete magic. And again, I'm obsessed with nature. Like, I just think it's such a magical, magical thing. But um it's also yeah, I'm in New York City. There's just so little time, but there is something really magical, and I have. Currently, I do have like a couple little things, you know, starting to starting to pop up. We'll see. I don't think I'll become a a full on gardener, like a little urban gardener. I don't think that I have that in me, but I love connecting with people who have such a passion for it because a it's not easy work either. That's what the thing. It's like it's it is hard work. Mm-hmm. It's inspiring work, but it's very hard, tedious, like you were saying, and it takes so much time. So I admire it so much. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And can you talk about your natural dyeing process? Maybe some of the plants that you dye with and how you source and cultivate the dye for your projects.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, um, one of the ones I'm, I'm most like known for in my artwork would be the indigo use. I use indigo a lot, indigo like inks and indigo paints. Um, also I dye with, nat- I naturally dye with indigo. Um, it's just my favorite. And I know that comes back like, it's always been one of my favorite colors. I know that comes back to when my dad would bring me um textiles when I was younger, um, just because a lot of them were really blue and really indi- a lot of them were dyed with indigo. Um, but I've always been obsessed with the color blue. So that's like really a prominent one in my work. Oftentimes I do like, use other colors, <laughs> but, but my cool color palette is what um a lot of, yeah, I use it a lot. And then in terms for, like, naturally dye, I do, I mean, I do a lot of traditional dyeing, too, so Mataru, um, weld, um, it's hard to name them all, because I'm, like, I have to, like, look at a piece of cloth, because I use, I use a lot, but, um, one for, like, people who are just really getting into dyeing, which isn't the, it's not, like, the most colorfast or, like, color-stable are the flower dyes, the botanical dyeing, which is really, like, popular, um, it's, it's good for, like, beginners who are just trying to, like, see the magic of seeing, like, color translate to cloth, I think. Mm-hmm. But if you are, like, a, a natural dyer and really interest, like, interested in, like, a sustainable way of, how, like, coloring cloth that will last a long time, which is a part of sustainability for me, like, it's supposed to last a long time, then, yeah, more traditional dyes are better. Like, indigo is, like, you know, top of tops. Indigo, I'm obsessed with because, again, it has so, such a strong... um like, connection to to my heritage on my dad's, like, Nigerian side. But it's also, it has such a strong, uh, like, globally, like, uh, culture, indigo culture, just in general. A lot of, yeah, indigenous cultures have a connection to indigo in a really interesting, fascinating way. So that was one.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. Are you familiar with the type of indigo that, uh, your dad used to bring or the the type of indigo used to make the textiles that your dad used to bring from Nigeria?
1: Oh, so like, I'm sure some of the ones that he brought from Nigeria are probably synthetic indigo because unfortunately, in a lot of like West African cultures, they have swapped in, I mean, through colonization, they have swapped in synthetics over natural, which I know there are also a lot of natural um, indigos. But I don't know if like the cloth he brought, which ones, um, which which indigos they were, but I know that usually in the like West Africa, there's the indigo tinctoria, I think, and then the indigo is it pseudo pseudofricosa? Am I saying that right? Sucre- I know you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think those are the indi- like the ones that um that grow there, but I could definitely be wrong.
0: So. Kind of on the topic of context and history and, and like family, which I feel can be seen in your work in many different ways. I'm really curious about how you layer and collage your dye textiles. And I'm wondering if you can speak to the process of creating those pieces and if they are related to that sort of mixed media background as well as has, like, historical and familiar themes as well?
1: hmm Yeah. So, I definitely think it does. And my process is kind of, yeah, similar to what you were saying about, like, when you're, like, looking at one little piece. My thing is I build up these huge libraries. I think it's cause, like, I'm a researcher. So, like, I just love research. And I love, like, history. And I also love, like, future thinking and, like, the interplay between... That and so as much of a, as I am like a naturalist, I'm definitely like an afro in the sense that I'm like always like looking like time time is very different for me, I think, in the sense that I'm trying to always combine the two. Like if there's and so oftentimes I do series of like um I work in series of three where I'm always doing like beginning, middle, and end and trying to like show that it like all connects mm. almost. Um and so that's how I work as well. So I'm always trying to pull stuff from like Like my past and incorporate it and it's so layered that it's I often say it's like the viewer might not know what all of the layers mean um and a part of it is like maybe at the time I don't know what it all means but then I'm always constantly like exploring and layering but that's just also how I navigate the world and I kind of think like as a black person as a black woman um you're used to having like this layered experience. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you know how to navigate these different layers in different ways. And like in your, when you're in certain rooms, you can see what others don't see. And, um, so that really I think is apparent in my work but it's also like how I talk like I talk in tangents <laughs> I'm always trying to connect my last like thing I said to like the next thing I'm gonna say um, and so it's really like how I navigate and so when I'm like building the work because it is like really much building sometimes it takes me a long time to Like it can take years for me to make certain pieces just because I'm like always going back and being like oh I want this here now, or, um, since my stuff is really research driven, sometimes I'm making something and then I find research and I'm like, wow, like it really did connect. And I just didn't like, it was there all along and I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, I'm always trying to figure out how to like articulate, articulate. And so I think sometimes with art, you, you like, you feel it before you know how to articulate it. Um, and so, yeah, so it's uh, like a constant exploration is the best way to describe like my process. Mm. Um, and again, yeah, I'm trying to combine all these disparate ideas or thoughts. Um, and that's how, that's where those layers come from. Because It's like, oh, maybe there's a base layer. And then I'm like, oh, let's play with this. It's a lot of color. It's a lot of texture. Um, it's really funny because I've been doing a lot of um, like archiving of my work so that I could, like, explore for this residency that I'm doing. (laughs) So I wanted to see how I wanted to layer, and so I'm I'm weaving this time. So I wanted to see how I was going to layer in this in in a different way, maybe. And so I was, like, exploring some old work, and I was, like, I think I just worked the exact same way where it's, like, I'm maybe deconstructing something, like, a fabric. Maybe it's, like, I used to do all this work with denim, and I'm, like, deconstructing all this denim, then I'm cutting it all up. So I'm always trying to get it down to like the like a like um to a small bit almost to work with, and then I build it up. And as I build it up, like it's like I'm researching the history of denim, then I'm researching my like context in denim, then I'm researching my family's like <laughs> history denim. It's like all these continuous thoughts. Um, and as I build it, things get more clear. And so sometimes that might be on a 2D plane. I think with my fashion, it used to be on a 3D kind of context because it was on the body, but still my work is kind of sometimes it it can be quite sculptural still, but yeah.
0: And can you talk specifically about your, your word to mother series?
1: Yeah. So that was done during a residency. And the residency was really inspiring to me because it was through a local museum here called Mokata Museum, which is the museum of contemporary and African diaspora and art. Mm -hmm. Um, And the residency was actually on governor's Island, which is a small uh, Island in New York city. And it was just very nature-driven. Uh, I had access to this, like, old house, this colonial house. And um, I was so inspired by the nature. I was able to, like, forage local plants. Um, and so all of that was in my work. At the time, I was really... It was, like, my first residency. So a lot of it was using, like, old uh, textiles from fashion jobs that I've had. And so I was really, like, speaking about, like, sustainability um, and how like there's it's a series of three so for people who can't see it it's a series of three and there are these circles and the residency was called um let this like our the theme of the show eventually was like let the circle be unbroken and again talking about time for me time like it is a circle like the beginning is as much as the end as the end is the beginning so which I think is also a lot of like African cultures believe that like it's not time's not just a straight line and so I was really exploring that with the that series. Um, oftentimes in my work, I'm looking at Black culture. And in that case, I was looking at Black American culture specifically. So that was like a slang that was popular. Um, your, t- your word uh, to your mother is a, is a, a slang word that's popular basically during the time I was born, like 80s, 90s. Mm. And so I'm revisiting that, I'm revisiting language with it. Um, and so these are the layers I'm talking about. When you view them, you might not see all these layers or understand all these layers. Um,
0: but that's kind of, I think, what makes art good for the artist. Yeah. Because you get to put so many feelings and so many emotions in this place. And then it feels done or finished. Right. Or right. You know, at least for me, that's how I feel when I'm layering things <laughs>
1: Yeah, and it's like that the layers is what makes the work, and again, I like it's. I don't know if other artists do that, so actually, I've never had this conversation with a lot of my art friends, but like, I'm the type two, once the work is finished, I still explore it. Maybe that's again in the articulation of it, of like the after effect, but like seeing those things now, and sometimes like there's work that I was making, I think, even during that time, and I had didn't know certain artists at that time, and then I find these other artists I like focus a lot on black abstractionist artists um so that's kind of like my niche specialty I think um but then I found a certain like certain black artists and I see the work they're making and I'm like whoa I didn't wasn't even familiar with that work but I see it reflected in my work and it because it's like we're truly a lineage you know so yes. I think that's so yeah I think it's fascinating and so I do sometimes yeah even after the work it's like the layers, is, it's finished then, but that's just a part of that process. I still figure out, like, articulation sometimes after re- researching other artists or other specifically Black abstract artists because I think abstraction is something different than figuratives sometimes, you know, in terms of how people, if there's a figure there, you can understand a little bit more, like, you can relate to it a little bit more. Where if it's abstract, I know a lot of people process it differently. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. It's so interesting that you say that because there's artwork that will visually tell a story, but then there are ways that you can tell a story and be connected to the lineage by using different materials. Like for instance, the way I use cotton, I think it tells the story of who my ancestors were and where they come from. But when you look at it, it's a large piece with, a bunch of different fabrics on it you know but it's like I feel like other black people will look at it and be like oh this is that fabric that everyone had in their house in 96 you know or like this right, right. type of shape that everybody knows like there's are just certain things that we're gonna pick up on and recognize so I absolutely hear you when you say that
1: yeah and that goes back to that layered experience right like when you're in spaces you can pick up on things that others aren't picking up or cuz it's like yeah it's we're speaking to each other but in another way so yeah
0: yeah and and can you speak to navigating space in contemporary art as a black textile based artist
1: <laughs> yeah i think that's an interesting it's such an interesting question i mean it's such an interesting thing in general like navigating space like i don't know that's such an interesting i'm like oh i really like that <laughs> i might research that <laughs> something about that really inspired me um and this happens I get inspired by like just a phrase a lot hence the yo word to your mother like it, it just sometimes something will just set me off but yeah so now being space as a black like woman artist like it's an interesting thing especially because I work in abstraction I don't work in with figures and it is textiles uh mostly specifically I do do like paint but again if it's like usually if it's like paint or something it's like naturally um it's like ink I've made (laughs) from plants so which I still consider yeah fibers or textiles so I don't know it's like it's an interesting thing like my biggest thing I think starting in 2018-2019 is I've been really trying to work on like finding community because I don't think that the like the art world is really set up to support or wants to really support deeply like textile artists because it's always textile other like artists are already kind of othered Mm -hmm. but specifically textile artists that are black are not supported in new york city a lot of um in 2021 i was doing a lot of art surveys of like the textile arts scene and the amount of like textile black artists accepted into textile residencies is very very extremely low and the amount of like education around like African textiles or textiles across the African diaspora is very low. Like when you're learning natural dyes, you don't hear that people in Africa died with, pl- you know what I mean? And it's like, really? how could you leave out that information? <laughs> so even when i on my early journey of natural dyes, like it was, I was in some very harmful spaces um, just because they were predominantly white and like what is being taught or how it's being taught is very colonized and very um yeah it's very it's very interesting so basically like I made it a goal to really try to find community because I wasn't seeing myself represented uh or or feeling accepted I guess or feeling um yeah and so I work a lot with I've been really lucky so uh, I work a lot with the museum here the Mokata Museum that I talked about, which is the Museum of Af- Contemporary African Diaspora and Art. And again, it's it's like local to me; it's in my neighborhood, um, which is really great. And really, just finding a community of artists who understand my experiences, but are still like growing too, and we're all trying to find our space within this this world. Because I, yeah, it's not it's it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's 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 really interesting that you mentioned that one point about the colonization of textile education because it's so true it it amazes me that people still talk about indigo in the u.s and don't mention south carolina
1: right i mean like literally yeah it's it's crazy it's also you're just not taught that it was yeah a crop that it was a very important crop that was used you know, so it's, like, how you're leaving out all of this information, but indigo is so important, especially to, like, natural dyers, so it's, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's it's so, so interesting to me, and then um, just in general, I think fiber history and... Textile and textile history. I think when we had our residency meetup, so for those of you all listening, all of us—Sobia, Ade, Cassiana, Melvina, and myself—we got together and we had a, a wonderful conversation and a meetup, and we got to talk about our background and our currents, and you know, just so many things about fibers and textiles. It was a phenomenal meetup. It was really just such an amazing flow of energy amongst all of us. And I'm so grateful that all of you all applied and that we have this opportunity to um, connect and hold space for you at just. But uh, one of the things that came up in conversation was, you know, what we're talking about now and the text by Mary Madison, Plantation Slave, oh, right. and how that's really one of the very few texts that has a collection of works or accounts by formerly enslaved uh, persons and their relation to textiles and the making of textiles. We learn about the history of enslavement. We learn about cotton and farming. It's so rare that there is life put into our ancestors um, and what they experienced Um, And it's it's a difficult thing to describe because so much of our ancestors' history is linked to pain and suffrage. And so I never want to seem like I am trying to delineate from that. I just feel that there's a lot to be told about their lives and their contributions. And it is to the benefit of me and people like me. And so I want to know. I want to know how they were weaving and what they were weaving and what they were making and what they were um, collecting. Like even being out here in South Carolina, I visited a couple plantations, um, ones who are teaching people uh, about the, the lives of the slaves and how plantations work and that are being accountable for the violence and the, deg- the degradation that you know, enslaved Africans Faced and experience but one of the things that I that I learned that was so interesting where they were telling me that at night um they would go out in the woods and then they would hunt and um you know like bury the bones and they found bones dating back to you know years and years ago and it's the same for fabric and mm-hmm. plants and you know all of these different things and so these are things that people don't you know know about because it hasn't been talked about but it's like when you look at how profitable the fiber and craft industry has become off of things that um african people, you know, continental african people have been doing for a long time, indigenous people throughout latin america and the united states have been doing for a long time and also african americans have been doing for a long time and other indigenous cultures within you know the different you know races and ethnicities of um the world but it's like it's it's that that um I guess juxtaposition of or maybe it's not a juxtaposition but it's like you you know this the the roots of all of this but then you look at modern textiles and how things come to be and it's just you know a
1: lot Right. And there's like such a disconnect. And it's one of those things. I mean, I agree with you so much and so deeply. And and it's one of those things where it's like, if you look, you the, the reason why they were enslaved was because of their knowledge. It's They were so great at it. And so it's like one of those things where it's like, I definitely want to hear how they were weaving. I definitely want to hear what they were foraging. I definitely want to see what plants they were dying with because and I definitely want to hear those histories because it's so important because, again, ancestrally, that is, that's like a skill. Like, we are inherently sustainable people. So it's very important to find those stories. I can tell you, and one of the things I always say is, like, it. it's super hard to do that research, right? Obviously, we're niche people who have a deep interest. But the reasons why these stories aren't told, it's like, they. it's not that they don't exist. It's like they're just not being shared. And you have to do the amount of time we're like researching and stuff, you know, not everybody has or that interest or that knowledge. So it's important for us to like definitely like share that once we find it for sure. Mm-hmm. And that's a part of that's a huge part of my work and to go back into the educator part of me, like that is like a responsibility that as an artist, um I kind of yeah, I I feel like it's important to share that when you find it. Um to because our contributions are, I mean, so much. There's just so much there um especially in the textiles especially in the fashion zone um and that's why it's like it's offensive almost when when you see what what it looks like now what sustainable fashion looks like what what the fashion industry looks like when you hear um when you look at like specifically like art history women's history and you look at like textile history it's it's mostly like white space and it's it's offensive like I don't know I don't know a better word because it's not it's not real it's just colonized it's not um yeah yeah I say that a lot about the natural dyes is that it's like a colonized space because of the way that people are monetizing and commercializing it and again not sharing histories or tying it back to anything it's a very especially natural dyes right now, it's a very colonized space. And I say this a lot because there are so many amazing natural dyers who are from indigenous cultures, who are from across the African diaspora, who this is their knowledge, like ancestrally, this is their knowledge, but to see who's being paid or who's trying to profit off of it, or who's monetizing it at extreme. And I'm going to say this like extreme amounts for the, for not like it's, for the knowledge and not like the art of it, but for the knowledge of it, that is, um, yeah, that is a lot of what natural dyes is currently and the popularization of it and how it's being, um, especially like on Instagram and TikTok, like how it's being commercialized, I guess. Um, mm. It's, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's fascinating in a sense because it's like, why, like how, like, that's interesting. You think you should be making money, so much money off of it in this way. um because there is a way to do it I'm not saying anybody should not make money for their work but it's like you don't get to own that knowledge and I also think about people who navigate like natural spaces because a lot of my um, a lot of my like material is nature right mm-hmm. and it's like the way people try to profit or say like this is this I own and I'm gonna shout out um, an amazing educator Lisa Lisa Betty and this is the first time like I had heard this phrase it's like eco-colonialism where it's like you're trying to like yeah like colonize the eco like ecology like nature yes um and I think that's so fascinating gross and where like at the stage of capitalism we're in i think that's where we're at where people are trying to be like this tree grew and i own it like you know what i mean it's like you don't own the land the tree you can say like i'm building my house here you can you know what i mean because otherwise that's colonization it's saying like and this is what i feel like natural dyers do it's like i made this by by like by me and it's like this is an indigenous technique that has been used for billions and billions of years It's, it's it's ancient you don't own that But yeah, I think that's really interesting. And a lot of that goes on in the natural dye space, which I've been um, researching a lot lately.
0: Yeah, yeah. I haven't been tapped into Instagram or just like current things that are going on. But there was a moment when I was on Instagram and I was seeing a lot of uh, the work happening and people you know, doing this and that. And even through this podcast, I've had to learn a lot of lessons about makers and creators and originality and things like that and so yeah I I totally agree and I think that one of the things that is also really poignant to me about even sustainability and the sustainable aesthetic is that it still does speak to colonialism like because I have this I've been like sitting on this thought for a long time. So I'm going to try to like get it out and hopefully it'll make sense. But it's like when I was in, in art school uh, in art history and I was learning about the modernist movement, the Bauhaus or Bauhaus, not the Bauhaus. And I under, it took me a long time to come to understand that it was modern because it lacked adornment. It's modern because, because it lacks adornment and because it lacks adornment it is for everyone so it's this kind of method of being like we're all the same these letters can all speak to anyone there's no what is it called serifs on it or this chair doesn't have claws on it which is linked to this culture and this and that and I feel like that's kind of been the thread of modernism and also it's kind of fallen into sustainability in a lot of ways where things are just really, really like simplified. But I feel like the only reason that we view adornment as something that is linked to capitalism is because of capitalism and not so, not so much, um, what, it means inherently to be adorned. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we come from cultures of people who wore things, who wore layers, who wore hairstyles, who, you know, and it wasn't about having money. Maybe status, maybe there's hierarchy attached, but the idea that less is somehow... It is. It's. It's just. There's something about the idea of the lack of that reinforces.
1: Right. Right. Um, yeah. No. You're making. You're making complete sense, and I'm totally like with you too. It's also interesting because I'm trying to figure out how I want to articulate what I want to add Because <laughs> it's interesting because I think there's like there's so much to pull from that because I think the way that the world works today, especially, it like flattens and reduces, right? And so, which I think a lot of modernism is. Like, they, it did, but technically speaking, and I don't think I'm going to articulate this properly, I can already tell, but, like, technically speaking, like, a lot of the inspiration always comes from Indigenous cultures, especially in the arts. So, even, like, Picasso, who's, like, a lot of people don't know art, but they'll know Picasso. I mean, it's, like, African masks is literally where he's pulling from. So, again, it's, like, when I say, like, it's, like, ancestrally, we're there. Like, ancestrally, we're the leaders in the space, yeah they're coming to our they're coming to certain indigenous lands I mean I feel like there's a lot about too. not to get um a lot of fiber artists they would go to Mexico they would go to South America they go to these different places and they pull from that culture and that's why they're so popular it's not that they came up with anything or originated it. and that's what it's like it's colonization because it's like you're pulling from what's there and you're just erasing that knowledge you're flattening you're reducing and saying I this is mine like hi this is me but in terms of their adornment i think it's interesting too because i agree with you um in the sense of like adornment doesn't necessarily mean like bad taste and i remember a lot of parson's parson's really beats bauhaus into you like Right. <laughs> um so many conversations and so I do think there's something really interesting what you're saying like with this that's why I'm like trying to figure out what points I want to talk about but like I think yeah I agree with you in a lot of ways um
0: and it's it's a it's a it's a ongoing thought like That was kind of just me sharing something that I've been harboring on for a long time because I'm still thinking about sustainability and what it means and how it pertains to my practice and who I am as an artist. And, you know, we get all of these messages and sometimes things resonate with me and sometimes they don't. And I just think it's really important that all spaces include people from different walks of life so that there could be different perspectives and so that when the vision then goes out to people and people then digest it, it's it's coming from a place that is inclusive, genuinely. And I just, you know, I feel like when I look at a lot of the way things are going and being talked about, I'm just kind of like, um I don't know. I don't know about this. I don't know about this. Something about yeah. this is not. Uh, but then it's also. Then it's. So what do we do? You know. What do we do? H- how do we mitigate or or? You know what? What can we do as people in this space?
1: Okay. And um, I do want to just add really quickly, like the sustainability thing, because I think it's really interesting. I think it's fascinating how. People, like, it's such a wide word. I usually don't use it unless I'm using it in context just because it is such a wide word. It means so many different things. And so people have, uh, like, technically it's like a marketing word now. You know what I mean? Like, it just means so many different things and people are, like, associated with, like, oh, this is good because it's, like, environment. And that's not necessarily what sustainability is to me, I guess. So, I yeah, I understand what you were saying with that, for sure. And I think... um, just also like yeah, the question is, is it good? Like, is it moving in the right direction? I think that's um, I think it's important because I think also when you were talking about like Bauhaus, just go back a second. Like when you're saying less is more, because like for or less is better. Like for me, my biggest thing is like I hate excess. I hate waste. Basically, like I don't believe in it. Meaning like again, you see it in my work. I repurpose everything. I forge a lot of like found things. I really. Don't like waste in that sense, because I also think ancestrally, like there wasn't waste, like you would use what you had. And so that's a part of to me, like that's sustainability, like. It's not like, you know, like what fashion especially has made it look like.
0: And it's not. I'm not saying it's because I'm like being combative or like, you know, talking down anything. It's just more so I'm so curious about how this is going to go and how this is shaping and what these things mean.
1: Yeah. You're questioning like the context of, of it. And I think that's really important. And I also think that for me, like, you we were talking about, like, what you said, like, what do you, what are we going to do? Or, like, what are we supposed to do? Or, like, what, what is, like, the action of it? And again, it's, like, for me as an artist, I think it's so important for me, who's also driven by research, like, that's important to me, to tie it back to history, to tie it back. And once I become aware, or once I've found something important, like, to share that information. And so it might only reach a very few. It might be in the, in the artwork, like, it might be, in the in the way I educate in certain spaces, like it's just very important for me to ha- let it like have people have access to that information once it's found, um, and to always tie it back. I think that's also very important to me because I just don't believe in this. Like I've I've invented this this indigenous technique from nature, but all my people con- like I come from a history of people who colonized. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. who do not work with the link. So it's like it, it seems kind of counter to me to be like. Oh, so again, like why people were enslaved was because they had that knowledge they had that skill of like uh growing crops of they were agriculturally genius, like they were you know what I mean like so then to to come from a space of like my ancestors weren't in this way, and again, everybody has indigenous ancestors, everybody does it just might be indigenous to a different part, so like research if if you're white research, what indigenous culture you come from and like what they did there you know what i'm saying so i think that's also very important because the like flattening and reducing is what i call it that's what i feel like instagram is really like you have to be so flat and you have to re- like reduce it down so much that it doesn't even have context anymore which is colonization <laughs> you say i own this land now there was nobody here before me um and so i think it's like really we have to try to like yeah they call it decolonizing of course but like really combat that and it's not um, yeah, I think that's just really important to tie stuff to other stuff, like mm-hmm. yeah, none of this is new. This is all very old, ancient textiles fiber, like you know that's a part of why I love it so much because it's there's so much innovation that can happen there, but there were already so many innovators um who were descendants of that that did it, so.
0: Absolutely. And speaking of all of the different obstacles and facets of navigating space in the contemporary art and the fiber world, can you talk about how you, as a maker, sustain, whether it be financially, environmentally, or socially?
1: I mean, yeah, I think community is so important. Um, I moved to New York when I was like 17, going on 18, very young. I've worked so many jobs. <laughs> As a young creative, um I can tell you your community is really important to to like to cultivate because I think that when I'm looking for work, like that's that's who's giving me work. And I specifically do in this case me and like black women have given me the most jobs <laughs> um and have supported me the most financially. Um in the art space. But also just yeah, finding people that look, look like you, uh or not that look like you, that think that are like minded. That community can mean so many different things. But I for me as a young, like black woman artist who mostly does textiles, which ne- isn't necessarily like, you know, like uh accepted in as a tradition like a, in the traditional arts world, I think that people like my community has supported me so much with that. Um there's are so many ways to be an artist. That's just the honest truth. There's so many different ways to, to navigate that space. And for me, I don't like selling artwork to people. I don't want to sell my artwork to. So that means I prioritize making my income, making money elsewhere. Sometimes, like sometimes I do sell artworks when I feel like it, or it might be, I usually sell like smaller scale artworks um, because also I, I think like your archive is really important and, that's the part of my, that's a part of my art practice, my personality, like holding on to something that you really value is really important. I really value my artwork. Um, so I think I don't like to sell it always. So I do do other jobs. Um, and so finance or jobs that I used to do were in fashion. I worked in fashion for a long time. And then outside of fashion when I was deciding to hundred percent focus on my artistic practice, I decided I wanted jobs that like support that. Um, So everything kind of ties in again about like connecting dots, like that's how I live my life. So I like to educate. So I do workshops, I educate, um, I work with some of the fashion schools to teach, Um, but I also uh, value quote unquote sustainability, right? So I do freelance gigs through a company called Garbage Goddess, which they compost, we compost the florals from like huge events around in New York City which is really great because sometimes I can get the flowers from that and they give flowers to like natural dyers sometimes as well. So it's again, like I like my resources to feed into each other, but not take away from my artistic practice.
0: And you also recently joined GIST as an artist in residence for 2022. Can you give our listeners a sneak peek into what you'll be working on during your time with us?
1: Well, if I haven't talked about community enough, um, I'm, hosting, <laughs> I'm hosting some community events actually, uh, which I'm so excited about. I was able to, to bring in a couple of friends to help support this work um and so one is gonna actually happen not ne- not this weekend but next weekend um it's a weaving in the park it's a it's called weaving skies is my project so um I'll be teaching a workshop in the park and that is local to me it's in my neighborhood with some friends um and we're gonna be teaching weaving um it's a weaving workshop so I'm really excited about that and then I'm working on A really cool, uh, so far it's really taking mixed media form, um, but it's a new textile work that I'm excited about. And so that's, yeah, this residency has been good so far. Meeting up with LaShawn, chatting her ear off, Mm -hmm. meeting up with other artists, having phenomenal conversations. Um, Yeah.
0: Well, I am so excited and so grateful that you have decided to grace us with your presence as well. And I'm also just, again, so grateful for this conversation and your brain, your mind. It's so beautiful, so intelligent. And I'm so, so, so grateful for you and for this conversation. And before you go, I do have one question to ask you. And it's a question that we ask everyone that's ever joined the podcast is how we close out every episode. And and that is do you have any advice or words of wisdom to share with weavers and textile enthusiasts
1: wow i just think yeah keep at it but also i would always uh encourage people to experiment because i know weaving can be it's really traditional it can be really traditional but it, there's so much um there's so much there it's at the base of all innovation i feel with like weaving in terms of Computers looked to weaving to get charts off of text is based off of textiles. So really push that boundary because there's a lot that can happen with with textiles in general, you know, and weaving specifically.
0: <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much, LaShawn. Seriously, this conversation's so energetic. I like, thank you so much for being like taking giving me so much of your time I really wanted to talk with you more in depth so this has been great yeah
0: that's a wrap if you're interested in seeing images of Cassiana's work or to read a full transcript of this week's episode you can visit the show notes at www.justyarn.com slash episode dash 145 Our next episode will feature another one of our artists in residence, Sobia Ahmad. So stay tuned for the announcement for when that episode will be available. Thank you for your continued support. Until next time, happy weaving.